Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady herself, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of the Talk Podcast, and welcome back to another episode of Season 2. I am doing this podcast this weekend. I know that I told people that I was going to post the Nicole Kessinger audio this weekend, and I listened to it again, and it seems fairly scathing to me. It's not as instructive as I would like. So I'm going to edit that, maybe add some more to it, because if I edit out everything I didn't like, it's going to be about half of the audio. The other thing that I want to talk about, the reason for kind of smushing this podcast, which was unplanned for this weekend, into the lineup, is because if you're listening on YouTube, and I want to explain something. I streamed the podcast to YouTube after many months of reading different articles about whether you should or should not stream a podcast to YouTube. I actually find that there are a lot of people who prefer the YouTube one. They just put on YouTube and it goes from podcast to podcast to podcast. If you ever get into a playlist and on the youtube.com backslash user backslash getting past your past channel, I have a few different playlists. So if you go to the playlist and you hit one, it will just keep playing. And I do that with a lot of videos that I listen to. Anybody that has these big, bulky frames around their videos, they have the little tiny postage stamp video that just the content you really want to see in the corner with all of this mess. Subscribe here and look at this video. And that, I, I can't do that. I can't deal with it. It's too busy. I don't like it. It's annoying. It's frustrating. And it's usually full of one ad after another after another. But sometimes I'll listen to them if I don't have to keep stopping and hitting skip ad, skip ad, skip ad. I will put a playlist on of some channel that I like and I'll just let it rip while I do other things. I'll be listening to it. So that's the reason why I stream to YouTube. This week, I got a copyright strike, and I've been on YouTube for many years, just about 10 years, and I've never had a copyright strike, not once, not ever. I have a license for the music that I use in my podcast. I'm very, very sensitive to copyright. You read my book, and you've read it in a bootleg, from a bootleg source. I would like you to consider the fact that my book is not just 260, 280 pages of me sitting down writing for a few months. I have a um, graduate degree in psychology. I have a graduate degree in law. I had $90,000 of student loans when I came out of law school. And the grief chapter in Getting Past Your Breakup represents years of research. And if you listen to the grief podcast here, you know that that's true. So I would like you to consider that if you can get my book for $10.99 on Amazon, I would like you to pay it. I get 7.5% of that. And then I have to give 15% of that to my agent. So I don't get a lot of money. People must think that if your book does well, 
and people know who you are that you're rolling in dough. I am not rolling in dough. And piracy really, really not only takes up a lot of my time, I have to chase these people around the internet. I have to do DCMA letters. They're not always effective. Then I have to go to my publisher. I have to say, what are you doing? And then they do nothing. And I have to go back to them again. It's very time consuming. I'd rather be doing other things. I'd rather be doing podcasts. I'd rather be talking to my Facebook group. I'd rather be talking to my boot campers, my individual clients, whomever. So I am very, very sensitive to copyright and I would never use music that I did not have a license for. I got a license for this music that I use. And so I sent it to YouTube who sent it to Epidemic Sound, which is the company that put the copyright strike on me. So they wrote me back and they said, sorry, but this company that you bought this from is ripping us off and therefore your contract is illegal. They said, we advise you to request a full refund for the license that you purchased because it's not valid. And then they wanted to sell me the music on their platform. And I wrote back and I said, I'm an attorney. First of all, you're in Sweden. And I'm in the United States. I am an attorney. I'm a licensed attorney. I read the license very carefully. They said that the place where I got it from is illegally selling licenses that's 100% owned by them. I don't know how true that is. That's a statement. That's a legal conclusion. In court, a judge would say to me, counselor, that's a conclusion. I make that decision, not you. You have to show me where it has been determined that this place is illegally selling music that's 100% owned by you. But first you have to prove to me that it's it's 100% owned by you. So there's many steps in the legal conclusion that they just want me to accept. And I don't. So I wrote them back and I said, you're in Sweden. I'm in the U.S. I'm very sensitive to copyright. Very, very sensitive. I would never use anything that I'm not entitled to. And I urge other people not to. But... You got to come, you got to give me more than this. These are legal conclusions and you are Swedish non-lawyers. I'm an attorney licensed in the United States, which is where I got the license from. You have to give me more than this. You can't just make these conclusory statements to me and, and I'll go, oh, really? Well, okay. No, you need to prove this to me. Anyway, I'm going to cut off the trailing music on YouTube. So sorry that you'll probably hear me trail off and then boom, it's going to end. So just want to let you know about that. Okay. So one of the things that happened in the past week was I ended an engagement of divorce coaching. And for those of you who don't know what divorce coaching is, I want to just tell you one thing that the American Bar Association said about divorce coaching, and then you can take it from there. I have a page on the gettingpassionbreakup.com website about divorce coaching. And I only have that up when I have availability to take on divorce coaching clients. So it's not always there, but it's informational. And if you want to know what divorce coaching is or why you might need one or want one, you can go there and check it out. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about any divorce coach. The one caveat that I will say, and I read this, I think from the American Bar Association or somewhere, is that the biggest downfall in divorce coaching is that anybody can claim to be one. There's no licensing or regulation of it. So you can have people out there putting themselves out as divorce coach, quote unquote, and 
the only credential they have is that they've been through a divorce. And that doesn't make you an expert. And as somebody who's been through a divorce and been through law school, I can tell you that it is definitely, it's not apples and oranges, it's apples and moon rocks. But there are some divorce coaches who are financial planners. Sometimes people need that. They might be a therapist. They might be an attorney. They might be a mediator. They might be this. They might be that. So you really need to check out your divorce coach credentials. And I started doing divorce coaching when I was, I was kind of blurring the line with a lot of my clients where they would come to me for therapy and we would start talking legal stuff, especially if they were in New York, which is where I'm licensed to practice law. And one of the very first ones that I did was a woman came to me. She was actually an attorney herself, but she was a corporate attorney. And she was divorcing a doctor who was very well-to-do, but he was playing games. He was in the prime of his life, like 45 years old. And all of a sudden, he wanted to change practices, go into a whole other area, which meant that his income was going to be drastically reduced. And he was scrambling to get this done. She had a very expensive top tier New York City what they call big law law firms and she herself worked as a corporate attorney she knew nothing about litigation she knew nothing about family law and she had originally come to me for therapy and we just started talking about the legal proceedings and then I started being her divorce coach she would come to me with questions about the process itself she would come to me with situations and say, how do I ask my attorneys this in the most succinct way? Because the partner on her case was charging about $700 an hour to talk to her. So I would either answer the question for her or I would explain to her the best way to ask her attorney about it. So that's how we started doing it. And of course, had a different rate. And this was all her idea. I had a different rate when I was doing divorce coaching than I did when I as as a therapist. And now, and eventually I just started to roll it into one. We started to average it out. And then going forward, I had charged her just one price no matter what we were talking about. And since then, I've done it a bunch of times since. And I've done it all over the country and I've done some in Canada. And it's basically saying, I'm going to hold your hand emotionally I'm going to talk to you about your attorney and I'm going to help you either understand the process, help you help your attorney if you have one, help you help yourself if you don't. And we go forward. I'm a therapist with over 25 years of experience doing that. And I'm a, an attorney with over 15 years of litigation experience. So I bring both of those things to bear. And those of you who know me know that I have done many articles and podcasts on the intersection between law and psychology, the mental health professions, the social services professions don't really know a lot about the law and lawyers and judges know like next to nothing about social services, mental health services, even, even family law attorneys. I find it very frustrating. So many times I will talk to a parenting coordinator. I'll talk to a guardian ad litem. I'll talk to an attorney. I'll talk to a judge. Some family law attorneys are not big on divorce coaches and others are very welcoming. So it always depends on how your attorney feels about it. But anyway, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is when I filed 
for my divorce. Those of you that know the story, I we separated in February. He tried to reconcile in July. He hadn't been paying any child support. And then in September, he came over the house and he smacked me in the face. And the next day I filed for divorce and for a restraining order. And he wanted to turn it into the trial of the century because when you first go in, you get the temporary restraining order. You do that in what is called an ex parte manner, meaning that the other side is not there to oppose whatever it is you're doing. In most litigation, ex parte hearings are not okay. You have to have your opponent in on whatever it is all the time. You're not allowed to just have ex parte audiences with the judge. But when you go in for a protective order, there's not time for it. It's an emergency order. You go in ex parte, you apply for it, you get it, and then you have a trial where your opponent has the ability to come in and say, yes, I did this. No, I didn't do this. So I got the restraining order and I had a pit bull of a lawyer. And he put me on the stand and everything was effective. My ex had really tried to intimidate me, really tried to get it to not happen. He had subpoenaed my mother, my friends, family members, all kinds of people. My entire support group not only couldn't talk to me leading up to the hearing day, the trial, but I go into court all by myself and they're all sitting on his side. It was really intimidating and really horrifying. And he expected that those tactics would get me to back down and it didn't. So my attorney puts me on the stand. We have practice and practice and practice. And halfway through, his attorney stood up and said, Your Honor, we're not contesting the restraining order. (laughs) That was exactly why we had been there for them to contest the restraining order. And then Dopey gets up and says, Oh, we're not doing this. So sit back down, Dopey, and we can all freaking go home. Now that you've made a circus out of this whole freaking thing. And I took notes there for when I became attorney. What not to do. About six weeks later, now my ex is not allowed to talk to me. My therapist was jumping up and down. I mean, I had been no contact on and off for the past seven months but she was so happy that now I couldn't talk to him there was no way I could talk to him couldn't call him he couldn't call me couldn't put letters on his car I used to put some I used to put long letters on his car and I would say things like when I was talking in the Watts video when Shanann was talking to Chris Watts and she was saying how could you be so cold we have a baby coming and we have family and I don't know what's going on with you well I basically left my ex letters like that and he would storm into wherever I was and throw the letter on the table and say, keep your angry letters to yourself. Now, he hadn't even read a word of it because he would have realized they weren't angry. But according to him, everything I said was angry, like he read it angry. And I tell people this about email and text. Nobody can tell your tone of voice. So... If the person doesn't like you or the person is angry with you or the person just doesn't want to soften toward you, they're going to hear whatever it is you say in an angry tone of voice, an accusatory tone of voice. It's going to come out like they're accusing you of something. And I've written letters where I've said, look, I'm not angry. I'm not accusing you of anything, blah, blah, blah. And the person still completely misinterpreted it. So I want you to think about that before you send anybody, not a, not just an ex, not just somebody you're in a relationship with, but anybody. Try to keep 
really important discussions out of email, out of text. You cannot hear somebody's voice. You can't come back and say, oh, you sound really angry with me because it's all an email. So the other person's thinking, oh, this person sounds really angry. But if you're having a face-to-face conversation or a phone call, the person could say, well, you sound really angry with me. And you could say, no, 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 I don't mean to sound angry with you. I'm not accusing you of anything. It works out much better interactively, talking back and forth, email with somebody when you're having a disagreement, when you're having a problem, the other person reads it however they read it. They read things into what you're saying however they read it. My ex always told me what I was thinking, so it didn't matter. And I remember one of the last arguments we ever had when we were still together was we came in from a party where he had been the center of attention, just like he always did. He commanded the room. He was telling all jokes. And I got to do what I had always done for 10 years, sit there by myself while my husband entertaining everybody with jokes and stories and this and that. And everybody thinks he's wonderful. And the couple is sitting there holding hands and and laughing together while I'm sitting in the corner going, oh, here, I've heard this joke 50 times already. Anyway, so we get home from there and I hadn't said a word to him, but he knew that sometimes that whole center of attention thing would wear on me. And so he'd come in and he would go, I know you hate when I do that. I know you don't like my jokes. I know you were thinking this, you were thinking that, you were giving me dirty looks. And I wasn't giving him dirty looks. He wasn't even looking at me. So we had this huge thing about what I was thinking. So with the letters, he would always tell me, you said blah, but you really meant blah. And, you know, so it didn't matter. Gaslighting is gaslighting. And if somebody's going to tell you what they're thinking, if somebody's going to project on you what they want you to have said, even though you never said it, even though it's not there in black and white, they're going to find a way to ascribe that to you. Okay? So think about that. If somebody's never going to give you credit, they're never going to give you credit. Right. That is a truism and it's about narcissists and sociopaths and even people that aren't personality disorder. They're just very, very dysfunctional. Somebody telling you what you're thinking is a very dysfunctional and unhealthy way to be. And if somebody tries to do it, and I used to tell people this when I started dating and getting into relationships right off the bat, do not tell me what I'm thinking because it will not go well. And I've told the story many times about how I would say at the when Michael and I were dating, I said it was cold and he said, you can't be cold. And I just, I went up one side of him and down the other. I said, don't you tell me what I can and cannot be. And it was a reaction to being told for many years what I was thinking, what I was feeling and why I was full of crap. And I just wasn't putting up with it anymore. He laughed because that's how Michael was. And for the entire rest of the time that he was alive, if I said something about being cold, he would say, oh, you can't be cold. Oh, don't tell me what I can be. So he would do the whole conversation that we had the very first time. He would just run off with it all by himself. And I would just roll my eyes at him. So any letters to my ex were completely ridiculous. So it was good that it all stopped. It was good that there was a restraining order in place. It was good that I didn't get to talk to him anymore. He called my mother about six weeks after the restraining order went into place. And he said that he was running for business manager of his union. Now, when we were together, he had been president of his union. And before that, he'd been shop steward. And my cousin, who I didn't like at all, 
was actually the business manager of his union. And my family had gotten him the job where he was, and he was working for the state of Rhode Island. I didn't know if my cousin and my ex were running against each other and which one of those blowhards would win was really inconsequential to me. I personally didn't care. But my mother managed to say to me, if you don't make any motions and go forward with the divorce until after the election, he'll be making more money and you'll get more money in child support, which I got next to nothing at that point. So silly me, I decide that I'm not answering my attorney's calls because right after the restraining order trial, my attorney wanted to start making motions for all kinds of things. My attorney was a pit bull. And I was trying to get time to talk to my attorney, but I had just started a new job that year. And it was a very good, important job in the technical field. And I worked in a cubicle and other people could hear me. There was absolutely no privacy. So I didn't want to call my attorney during the day. And I had been kind of holding off anyway. So after I got that message and my mother was saying, you do this, you'll get more child support. I held off on responding to my attorney. And then one day I get a letter from my attorney and my attorney says, I'm very disappointed in you. I thought you were going to be a good client and you've been ignoring all my calls and I have to remove myself from representing you. I just didn't know what to do. I was completely snookered. The business manager position he was elected to, it never resulted in any more child support. And I lost my attorney, my good attorney. And I just stopped dealing with the divorce for about a year. And I was just nervous and I felt untethered. When I got the letter from my attorney, I felt chastised. I felt like a little kid. And I was in therapy to not be treated like a little kid anymore. I mean, my husband talked to me like I was a little kid. My family talked to me like I was a little kid. And when my attorney sent me that and said, I'm so disappointed in you, I'm like, who are you to be disappointed in me? I was upset. It was an overreaction. I screwed myself into the ground because I believed what my ex had said. And I held off trying to be the good guy. And I tell people this all the time. Don't feel sorry for your ex. Don't capitulate to things your ex wants. And don't fall for a lot of this nonsense. After I got completely creamed in my divorce because I let go my pit bull attorney, I became a crazy, crazy advocate for other people who were going through divorce. And I also became a mentor to women who were trying to get out of situations where it was going to look bad on them if they got out. And I was just telling somebody this a couple of weeks ago. I knew a woman who she married a guy who against her better judgment went racing and he smacked up his race car and became a quadriplegic. This just happened months after they got married. He was in the hospital for months and months and months and months. And then he came home. He had very good insurance because I worked for the same company he did. We had great long-term disability. We had great medical coverage. And he refused to hire in-home help even though he had the benefit for it. And she was a secretary and she would come home from a long day of work and she would have to put him to bed. 
and it would take her three hours. I mean, he couldn't help her at all. And he had to have shots. He had to have shots given in his stomach. And she didn't have any medical training. And this was all made her crazy. If I had to give somebody a, a shot, I would be crazy too. She was talking and talking. I mean, she was exhausted, this poor woman. And he was just like a talking head, like just harassing her and saying things to her and not allowing her to even think about getting hired help. And I had two living caregivers when Michael was terminally ill and he wasn't a quadriplegic. I mean, he couldn't walk and sometimes he couldn't really help me when I had to change him and turn him and stuff because I had him by myself on the weekend. I only live in help during the week. I was exhausted from that, let alone doing it every single night and giving shots and stuff. So she was stuck in this situation. And I said to her one day, I said, you know, he's an asshole. And she said, well, he's in a wheelchair. I said, yeah, he's an asshole in a wheelchair. I mean, that's what he is. And I talked to her out of this martyrdom that she had signed herself up for. I'm like, you cannot live like this. He won't get you any help. He doesn't even speak nicely to you, and he's criticizing you. It was like he was doing the narcissist gaslighting thing from a wheelchair. And I said, like, I'd roll him down the freaking hill, you know, if, if it were me. And eventually she left him. And I remember I brought one of my sons over with me the day that she moved. And he had no idea what the situation was. When he walks in, this guy's sitting in a wheelchair and he's barking at us. And he's calling us all kinds of names. And my son's going, Mom. Like, he, my son like, was like 13, 14. Mom, do you realize there's a guy in a wheelchair who's flipping out about all this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, ignore him. So my son was like, what? <laughs> he said to me years later, he's like, I was so traumatized. I'm like, Pack up our shit and let's get out of here. But you cannot put yourself in a place of feeling sorry for someone who has hurt you. Somebody who does not have your best interest in mind. Somebody who just wants to take and take and take. I don't care if they're in a wheelchair. I don't care if they're running for business manager. I don't care if they have an alcohol problem. I don't care if they're just getting out of treatment. I don't care if they were just run over by an ex of theirs. I don't care what their story is. Don't feel sorry for them. It will be to your own detriment. Don't do it. So that was one of the things that I had to do with this lady whose divorce coaching engagement I just ended. She was in a really bad spot when she came to me for therapy. And I started talking to her about going back to court with her ex, which she had just begun doing. And she kept backing down. She kept lowering the quality of her divorce attorney. I did not practice in the state where she was, so I couldn't represent her as a divorce attorney, but I was her divorce coach and I helped her pick out a less expensive attorney because her ex was just taking her back to court, taking her back to court, taking her back to court. My ex had legal benefits through his union, so he wasn't paying what I was paying for attorneys. And this woman had a fairly similar situation where her ex was related to a bunch of lawyers. And even though they weren't representing him as family members, they had friends who were cutting him, a, you know, who's giving him a friends and family break. So she was all over the map and she was never quite as happy with her subsequent attorneys as she had been with her first one, but she couldn't afford her first one anymore. And she had kind of given the first one up 
in deference to something her ex had said about them working it out in mediation and being friends and all this other crap. So as soon as he got her to drop her attorney and go to mediation, they had did one mediation session, which basically resulted in them screaming at each other <laughs> in the parking lot after the mediation. So that didn't go well. So anyway, I tried to steer her into what is mediation, what do you need to do? She was very hostile to her own attorney during the mediation. So I had to kind of work with her about how to work with her attorney and how to get the best mileage out of an attorney. There's ways to work with less expensive attorneys and ways not to work with them. And just because an attorney charges less doesn't mean that they're not as good. Legal aid and public defenders, they're all good attorneys. Those gigs are hard to get, whether or not you believe that. It, they're hard to get. You have to go through a grueling process to become a legal aid attorney, a uh, public defender. So these are quality attorneys. Don't ever think that they're not. So the price of an attorney does not necessarily reflect how good that attorney is. There are other attorneys who charge a bazillion dollars an hour because they believe that if you see them as charging $1,000 an hour, and I used to work for somebody who charged $1,000 an hour, they see that if you think that they think that they're worth $1,000 an hour, that you got something there. But I can tell you, that is not necessarily the case. So when she was looking for attorneys, I was giving her questions, and then we were going over the answers, and we are figuring out this, we are figuring out that. But she was also giving her attorney, when we finally hired one, a hard time. And I had to keep redirecting her that her attorney was not the enemy. But she kept comparing her attorney to her first attorney. And I kept saying, you can't afford that attorney anymore. So let's not do that. This attorney might have better strengths in other areas that you don't know yet. This is a whole different ball game than when we first started. So my engagement with her lasted about a year and a half. I had about nine meetings with her. I reviewed documents of hers. I helped her pull things together for her attorney and I helped her formulate questions for her attorney. And when they would come back from court, Instead of her talking to her attorney at X amount of dollars an hour, she would talk to me about what went on and I would explain it to her. This is what happened. This is why the judge said that. This is why your attorney said that. This is why your ex's attorney said this. And then her ex would get crazy with her. And then I would switch into therapist mode about let's not worry about what your ex is doing. Bah, bah, bah. Then she would be going off on the ex's new wife. Okay, let's not worry about her. So then I have my therapist hat on. Then we come back to, I would put my lawyer hat on and I would explain the legal process to her. So it went back and forth, back and forth. And there were some times where it was kind of touch and go where I thought that maybe her attorney is going to fire her like on the spot because she was very argumentative at certain points. I mean, even with me and I'd be saying, you need to calm down. You are letting your ex slide on things while yelling at your support group. Me, her attorney, her mother, her sister, a friend of hers, another therapist that she had gone to for years and, and she was now going back with a couple of times. All of us were getting yelled at. Her ex, 
she's capitulating to stuff that he wants. And I'm like, you are completely on the wrong side of this. One of the things that I tell people all the time is if you feel like your attorney's the enemy, that's not the attorney for you, or you need somebody to kind of clue you in as to what this person is really doing. You can't go to an attorney and say, I need to save money. So let me do some stuff for you. And then complain about the stuff that you're trying to do for your attorney in order to save money which is what this woman kept doing. She kept saying to her attorney, oh, let me look that up. Or let me do this. Let me do that. And so you don't have to do what your paralegal doesn't have to do it. And then she would come to me and she would say, well, if I was going to write this motion, what would I say? And I would say, well, you have to write a motion and then you have to write a brief in support of the motion. And she would go, what? I said, well, did you and your attorney talk about this? No. What it is you're asking for? Do you know, uh, what did your attorney say? It turned out that the attorney had no idea that she was going to run off and try to write a brief by herself. I had to keep kind of moving her toward the goal of we want to extricate ourselves from this latest brouhaha with your ex with as little damage to you as possible. And many times she was so busy shooting herself in the foot that I had to take the gun out of her hand. So anyway, one of the things that's really important to understand is that your attorney needs to be looked at by you as your friend. And if you've had to go to a less expensive attorney than you had before, please don't compare them. And you might find that your less expensive attorney has actual good stuff that hasn't been mined yet. If you are in a legal proceeding that's not a divorce, if it's child support and visitation, I was in court the other day and this woman was suing this guy for child support. He hadn't paid any. She was the side chick, as they are now calling mistresses. They're now calling mistresses side chicks. But he wasn't married. He had a girlfriend. Now, this guy had a girlfriend, a mistress. I don't know if it's a mistress, if it's a girlfriend that he's cheating on. Maybe it. that's when it's a side chick. I don't know. Somebody tell me, what is the difference between a mistress and a side chick? He had the girlfriend. He had the woman he was cheating on the girlfriend with. And he had an ex-wife that he was pretty well enmeshed with. He had three kids with his ex-wife. He was cheating on his girlfriend with the woman who was taking him to court and the girlfriend and the woman he was cheating on the girlfriend with, they had been pregnant at the same time. They had children two weeks apart, two weeks apart. And he wasn't paying child support for either one of them. Now, first of all, if you're fooling around with somebody, the woman who was suing him for child support said that she didn't know that he had a girlfriend in a so-called committed relationship and she found out a few months into their rendezvous now he claimed that it was happened a couple of times and it was really unlucky if you're cheating on your girlfriend if you're under a support order for three kids already and you're cheating on your girlfriend you should use birth control dude if you are a woman in 2019, you should be using birth control. Her kid is going to grow up having a sibling of another mother that's two weeks apart in age. Unless you're twins, that's a tough situation 
to be that close in age. And the two women hated each other. You could tell they hated each other. But he's the douchebag, not them. He's the one who couldn't keep it in his pants. And now he wants out of child support obligation. And he says things, and I've I've said this on so many other podcasts, saying I buy them diapers, I buy them formula, they need something I get. That is not child support. Child support is your child's money. It should go to your child's money. It should go to your child, the money. Not a, a thing of diapers, not some wipes, not some tissues, but actual cash, hard, cold cash to buy food, to pay for electricity, rent, mortgage, whatever it is. If you can't afford it, keep it in your pants. And ladies, what the hell? And I've seen this over and over again. You have a guy who's a cheater. And now you and another lady are either pregnant at the same time or you have children the same age because you he was screwing around. What is wrong with you? The worst thing in the world is to raise a child when you have an, and when there's animosity with your ex, the other parent, and I'm not going to say mother or father, because it doesn't matter. It's like whether you're the mother or the father, having a child with somebody where it's just going to be animosity for 18 to 22 years, don't do that to yourself. Why would you do it to you? Why would you do it to a child? Why? It's ridiculous. Children should be raised under the best circumstances possible. And this is not that. The guy's a cheater and a liar. And you just brought two children into the world, each of you, and you hate each other. He's the one you should hate. The lady who was the girlfriend who was staying with him, out of her mind. The lady who was cheating with him, even after she found out that he had a girlfriend. She continued to cheat with him and she con- with getting pregnant having the baby. This is insanity. You don't have a relationship with somebody you hardly know and may or may not have another relationship and you're not taking birth control. It is ridiculous. I have had so many people come to me and say, it was an accident. I'm sorry. There should not be any accidents. This is absolutely ridiculous. These two ladies could not talk to each other in court. I thought it was going to turn into a brawl. And I was there with a client and I said to the client, whatever you do, don't ever be one of these two ladies. Don't ever, ever, ever. I mean, her ex was bad enough. But I was like, don't ever be one of these two ladies. This is putting you and your child into such a precarious position. He was ordered to pay child support. We were in family court and he was ordered to pay child support. But the acrimony was incredible. And these ladies were not getting a lot of money. He had five children. And you know that as the mistress slash side chick, you're not getting anything extra. I mean, I was married to my husband and all of my kids were his and I and they were the only kids he had and they didn't get anything extra. They didn't even get what they were supposed to get. So they definitely weren't getting anything extra. But I know plenty of non-custodial parents who do extra stuff for their kids that they don't have to do or they at least step up to the plate in all the ways that they're supposed to. This lady's talking about him not paying for daycare so the court had the court had ordered that he pay for half of daycare, but most jurisdictions the overriding rule, kind of unspoken rule that many judges follow is first families first. So 
the courts will always give deference to the first family. So those three kids were always going to get more than any kids that came later. And he didn't really have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. And now these women are running around having his children. First of all, he's a shady ass immoral character. He's a liar. He's a cheat. And you decide, oh, his offspring would be fabulous to raise for 18 years. Can't wait to do that. And I will tell you that biological children of people that are like that can exhibit similar traits. I've seen it over and over again. You really don't want to take somebody who is this innocent little life and say, oh, here's the specimen that I decided would be great for you to have as a father. Oh, he doesn't visit you. He doesn't support you. He doesn't like you because he doesn't like me. But come into the world anyway. We'll make a go of it. We'll see what happens. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, I'm going to talk about this more. But one of the situations that you should think about, if you're going through any kind of legal proceeding, it doesn't have to be divorce, but any kind of legal proceeding with child support, custody, or living arrangements, or leases, or anything like that, and you want to have somebody who can hold your hand, you want to think about a divorce coach who is both legally and psychology trained. I'm not sure if there's a lot of us or there's not a lot of us, but if you have a divorce coach who does a good job and is a therapist or a financial planner or a lawyer or whatever, just make sure that your divorce coach is not relying on I went through a divorce as their only credential and don't listen to people who say oh I've helped so many people really who tell me who they are tell me what their names are I want you all to understand don't let exes manipulate you listen to your therapist listen to your lawyer listen to friends who are saying no 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 don't don't give in to that and in 2019 I can't even believe I'm saying this Please practice birth control. I sit in court all the time listening to these horror stories from these couples that should have never had a kid together. They didn't even have a relationship or the one they had is so dysfunctional. So, so, so dysfunctional. Think about your child's parent. Think about who you are picking to be your child's parent and choose wisely. That's it for me. This is Susan Elliott. Mean Lady Talking Podcast. And if you're listening on YouTube, sorry, I'm going to cut off the music right here. <laughs> Talk to y'all soon. Bye bye. Take care.